Welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. We're glad that you are listening. Hope you're having a good weekend. And uh, as you know, this is an eclectic show. We have a lot of topics. We like it to be something related to our Catholic faith and also... Uh, somebody related to North Texas. And if those two, uh, we can check those off. Uh, we, it fits this program. And we have a returning guest that I spoke to, gosh, it must have been about a year ago about, uh, the first book in a series that he has written. And I'm going to tell you about him and then we'll get into, uh, the additional books in the series. Uh, Tony Cullink is my guest, uh, author of the award-winning youth historical fiction series called The Harwood Mysteries which was awarded the Catholic Writers Guild Seal of Approval and has won two gold medals from the 2020 Moonbeam Children's Book Awards and the 2021 Illumination Book Awards. Uh, he is an award-winning author of fiction and nonfiction books and articles and a columnist for Practical Homeschooling Magazine. He's been a guest in NPR, Catholic TV, Catholic Faith Network TV, and other radio and television programs. Uh, he retired as a lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Air Force Judge Advocate General's Corps after 21 years of military service. He currently teaches law at the University of North Texas Dallas, Dallas College of Law, and he speaks at writing, legal, school, and homeschool events. He and his family live in Jacksonville, Florida, and he is a proud parent, along with his wife, of course, of five children and three grandchildren. So, uh, Tony, you have lived... a uh, an exciting life, and now you're writing a bunch of books. So, uh, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Thank you. It's so good to be back with you. Yeah, that's quite a bio, boy. You have uh, done a lot. Um, you know, any any half of that would have been very impressive. Just having the, the the children and grandchildren and being married that that's that's enough. But you've done so much. How did you go from you know obviously having a, a couple of decades of military experience uh, and then decide I think I'm going to write some some books? How, how how did that come about? You know, I've been trying to write my whole life, really, and uh, and I started the Harwood Mysteries. And last year, as you mentioned, we talked about the first book, Shadow in the Dark. Um, I started Shadow in the Dark while I was still in the military. I did a lot of writing probably at about 4.30 or 5 a.m., um, <laughs> which was about the only time of my day that I didn't have something going on. And honestly, that's still sort of when I do most of my writing in those early morning hours. But uh, no, I've, I've always wanted to, to write. Um, Loyola Press uh, in Chicago was... Uh, was kind enough to uh, give me this wonderful opportunity, and they've been a wonderful publisher. So I've been living the dream, as you say. Yeah, and how uh, impressive that you've won these awards. Uh, tell us about the Catholic Writers Guild Seal of Approval. What what does that mean? And also the Moonbeam Children's Book Awards and the Illumination Book Awards. That, that's quite impressive. Uh, it, 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 tell, tell us about those. Well, first of all, I'll say it's a testament to the quality that Loyola really has put into these books. If I know we're on radio, but as you know, you know the, the covers, the the way that they put these books together, um, everything about them is exceptional. And I really appreciate and am very uh, humbled and grateful that uh, they were recognized in a few awards. Actually, uh, you mentioned a few of them. Those are basically uh, competitive children's book awards that you know have. Um, uh, you know, every year when books are published, uh, publishers will put, you know, some of their titles in for these awards. And uh, the gold medal is the uh, the highest award you can get in, in the two that you mentioned, in the Children's 
uh, the, the Moonbeam Children's Book Award, which is really uh, really a secular uh, award, and the Illumination Book Awards, which is really a Christian, um, not necessarily uh, just Catholic uh, book award. And actually, uh, what, what I didn't mention is that uh, Shadow in the Dark is also a finalist right now for in the Association of Catholic Publishers Awards, which are coming out. Um, it's, it's down to like one of the last five, and uh, I think those awards are coming out in June. And so, and there's still a few more that that's been in. So I've been really very, uh, very glad uh, about the reception of the books. Um, as far as the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval, uh, we have a Catholic Writers Guild, a national one, stationed in uh, Indianapolis as their headquarters, and they uh, have a program. Um, it's not, it's it's not an imprimatur. But it's meant to be sort of that you know to, to take the place of that for fiction books, so that you know bookstore owners and Catholic parents and homeschoolers and teachers, if if they see a book that has the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval, they know that it is an acceptable book for their family, mm-hmm. that it doesn't have anything contrary, you know, to the Catholic faith, that the writing is of a sufficiently high quality, so that it's it's a worthy read. So really, it's it really is a seal of approval um, because uh, you know, as you know, in, in fiction books, you can't really get uh, imprimatur. So it doesn't carry any you know church um, you know uh, authority with it, but it, it's meant to be helpful to bookstore owners and parents, really. Yes, Tony Collink is my guest. The Harwood Mysteries is his series. The first one, Shadow in the Dark, that we did the interview on. Last year, uh, that's book one. The Haunted Cathedral is book two, and I know there are going to be others uh, to follow as well. In fact, I think he's already uh, written maybe three and perhaps four. Uh, can you give us kind of a, a brief synopsis of the series overall, and then maybe what's what what is contained in these these first two of the series? What well, what is it about? All right, so the books are really uh, targeted to to uh, young adults, to teens, tweens, middle schoolers, high schoolers. But honestly, I've had plenty of college and adults uh, who who read it and really enjoy it too. And it's it's historical fiction, it takes place in 12th century England, and it's about a uh, a young boy uh, who gets named uh, Alexander, or or short. Uh, a nickname for that is Zan, so I'll just call him Zan from now on. And Zan winds up uh, through a series of unfortunate events um, alone at a Benedictine Abbey in Yorkshire, England in 1184 AD, uh, which is an exciting time in history. It's between the Second and Third Crusades. King Henry II is the king of England. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things going on in, in history in the church. And uh, But none of this Zan knows about. He's basically being raised by these monks, and he has to solve these spooky mysteries that keep coming up um, with the help of uh, his best friend, Lucy, who is a, a young girl who happens to be uh, left at the nearby convent. And so the two of them uh, are sort of teaming up to solve uh, some pretty spooky mysteries uh, as he's also trying to figure out some coming-of-age type issues, you know, what what does God want for my life? Um, why do, you know, bad things happen to, to good people? And, you know, um, you know, all the kinds of things that, uh, you know, young people struggled with uh, in all generations, I guess. Yeah, so you're <clears throat> incorporating some, it almost sounds like philosophical questions that uh, we all ask at some point uh, during during our life. 
And of course, you mentioned the, the, the abbey and the convent. And so there are certainly some, some Catholic themes. What, what, do you, do you try to teach the, the faith at all? I mean, even implicitly or, or how, how overt is the Catholicism in the series? So, uh, I mean, of course, here we are about 500 years or, uh, yeah, about 400 years before the Protestant Reformation. So, you know, all we have is the church in the West. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's organic to the plot. You know, really, it's, these events are happening at a Benedictine Abbey. There's monks and nuns around. You know, that's a time of history, and especially in that setting, where, of course, talking about um, God and, and God's will for our lives and, and living out your faith is just part and parcel of being alive. And so because of that, I'm able to sort of present these kind of spooky mysteries um, without being preachy or trying to necessarily, you know, um, hey, this is, I'm teaching you the faith. But the reality is that's sort of what is happening um, by, uh, you know, default, because that's really what's going on in, in Zan's life, in the life of the monks. They're, you know, helping him to, you know, grapple with various issues. And also, like, so the, uh, the first mystery, Shadow in the Dark, you know, uh, deals with the, 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 one of the big mysteries is this, this grim reaper kind of figure, the angel of death that is roaming around the abbey grounds. And the second book, The Haunted Cathedral, deals with the possibility that this cathedral in, um, in Lincoln, England, is haunted by the, the ghost of this little girl. And so, uh, you know, as he's sort of encountering what could potentially be kind of spooky supernatural events, he's also having to sort of process this through uh, the lens of, of faith and, um, you know, and, and the church. And so I mentioned that there are light there. I think you had told me on the phone that three and possibly even four has been written. How, how many others have been written and how far do you expect to go with the series? I'll go as far as Loyola will take me. But, um, <laughs> no. So book one came out last July and, uh, and that's around when we spoke sometime, uh, a few months after that, I think book two was just released the haunted cathedral in February and actually, book three is coming out this July, 2021. Uh, so they've, they've released the first three in pretty quick succession. Uh, book three is called The Fire of Eden, and that's sort of a jewel thief um, mystery where, uh, you know, this major jewel gets stolen, and there's this kind of magician, kind of wizard, Gandalf-looking figure who, uh, you know, is one of the suspects, and, and Zan has to sort of, um, you know, see what's going on with this this guy while he's there's a whole lot of other things going on in these books um book four um is under contract i am actually putting the finishing touches on it this summer and that should come out next july 2022 and i'm i'm definitely in talks with loyola for book five and i mean i've got about nine of these at least in my head but we'll we'll see how it goes um you know at, at least we're gonna i think see a book five next uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in the works and, you know, we'll see. Yeah. What kind of response are you getting? Do you, do you have, uh, people in the target audience that read it and communicate with you or, uh, what, 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 what has been the, the word about them so far? Uh, very well received. I mean, kids really enjoy them. They really are. I mean, when I wrote them uh, I'm, and as I continue to write them, I, I think about like, 
a Harry Potter vibe. You know, I, yeah. I want it to be something that, you know, uh, teens and tweens are going to enjoy to read in today's. I mean, there's a lot of great books out there and there's a lot of great classical books, but a lot of them don't really connect with kids today just because we're, we're so uh, our attention spans are short. We sort of have a certain way that we think things are supposed to go. And so I wanted to write them more with um, that kind of a vibe, but at the same time, you know, uh, tackling some deeper issues and, and not divorcing faith from our lives. And so I've gotten some really uh, good reactions from uh, the youth who read it. They, they really enjoy the stories. They don't think they're kind of preachy religious books. Um, and then the parents really enjoy them because they see that the, the, the books are, are, are good for their kids. They teach good values. There's some very good themes that, uh, that they, you know, they would want their kids to, you know, sort of uh, encounter. Yes, Tony Kolink is my guest. Uh, he is the author of the Harwood Mysteries series. The first one, as he mentioned, came out last year. The Shadow in the I'm sorry, Shadow in the Dark, and then the Haunted Cathedral is book two, and uh, number three is expected to be out uh, this summer. And four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. Uh, well, uh, who knows when he's going to stop? Uh, I, I, what about you know? I'm thinking about somebody maybe. Uh, uh, listening right now, who's always wanted to write that book? Uh, the process itself um, is is it uh, difficult? I mean, you found a publisher. I I don't know how that relationship started, but how is it? Uh, how difficult is it to write and go through the process and find an illustrator and then also find an audience? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, it seems like everybody wants to be a writer. You know, you run into so many people who who want to write. And like me, you know, they spend a lot of time throughout their lives writing. And uh, what I would say is, it, you know, I mean, I guess depending on who you are, um, it's going to take time to get your writing to a sufficiently high quality level. And yes. for me, it took a large portion of my life. And I mentioned the Catholic Writers Guild. Um, you know, I've been a, Catholic, a member of the Catholic Writers Guild for over a decade. And I would just say that my my probably uh, you know real writing life began when I started um, networking with other writers who knew what they were talking about, who could critique my work. And I mean, I mean, I've been a lawyer for quite some time, and I thought I was a good writer. But writing fiction, you know, is is a bit different. And so, what I would recommend to anybody out there is get involved with writing groups, get involved with other writers who know what they're doing. Um, you have to have a thick skin because uh, the reality is, you're, unless you're like just some natural genius, your writing is going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of work. And you know you're going to need to get rejected, and you're going to need to get people telling you that this stinks, and you need to change this, and you just can't get discouraged. Um, and so, going through the process, it's been a long process. Like I said, I started writing Shadow in the Dark, gosh, maybe 15 years ago, and it's yeah. taken this long before it's finally gotten to, um, you know, uh, where I really wanted it to be, the, the quality, and, and, and thank God, I mean, God just threw uh, Loyola into my lap, really. It was totally uh, a divine providence moment for me. Um, I was very lucky. I find it interesting what you said about how, uh, I think you said you've got six, seven, eight, nine in your head, and uh, that, that, that whole 
that whole concept of it's in your head, it hasn't hit paper yet. I mean, how do you say, okay, this will be book five, this will be book six? What, what's, what's going on? And it, there's obviously a, a great amount of, of imagination and character development and all that. Talk about the creative process of putting something like this together. Yeah, thankfully, because I've been doing this for about 15 years with this series, I've gotten to the point now where I have a sense of finally what I'm doing and where I want to go it at you know sort of in broad brush strokes with my character and but it wasn't always like that you know when I was first writing the first you know the first book I didn't really know what was going to come after it and it's because I've been sort of living with these books especially this first tr- trilogy um you know I've been living with them for so many years that I finally I think found the path of my characters and so now, actually, it's funny you mentioned, I was just uh, in the car with my wife talking about the plot of Book 5, um, you know, which I have been thinking a lot about um, since I'm in the process now where I, I want to write it. And so I've, you know, I usually will, will lay out, you know, well, what is going to be the central mystery? Um, you know, what's going to be the main theme I want in the book? Like, you know, Book 2 is about forgiveness. Um, the Haunted Cathedral, Zan has to struggle to forgive some bandit who has caused great evil into Zan's life. And it's, you know, he's, he's dealing with hatred versus forgiveness um, throughout the book. And, uh, and book three, The Fire of Eden, is really about pride um, and, you know, overcoming pride in our lives and, and sort of what happens if you let pride, you know, get the best of you. And so I, I try to, you know, think about, well, what, what do I want to be sort of my central value in the book and then sort of what's going to be my central mystery uh you know and and of course it's got to be slightly different for each one and i'm also trying to advance the story of my main character and and his development as he gets older and and the girl in the book um and so i i sort of just you know try to lay these things out and work with them and try to come up with a you know a sketch for the plot and then usually as i'm writing the book over the course of a few months you know, things seem to work themselves out. And, you know, some of those fuzzy details, I'm able to put some definition on, um, you know, and then we start the editing process. Yeah, <laughs> that's when the fun starts. Uh, yeah. the, it's the Harwood Mysteries series uh, by Tony Kolink. Uh, Shadow in the Dark is number one. The Haunted Cathedral is number two. And uh, number three is going to come out this summer. And you said that that one is called uh, The Fire of Eden, right? Is the uh, number yes. three? All right. And, and yes, the, the $64,000 question is, how do people get these? Or why, where, where should they go if they'd like to get one or more of this series? Well, of course, Loyola Press uh, has them available on their website. And I should mention, by the way, Loyola also has on their website free curriculum and, uh, you know, book club and parent, teacher, you know, um, products, games all sorts of free materials that go along with these books. So it's definitely worth, whether you buy it on Loyola's book site or not, um, go to the Loyola site because, um, you know, especially for parents and teachers who might want to incorporate this into learning, if they're homeschoolers or even, a, you know, a middle school teacher who's teaching about the Middle Ages or something, there's all these great materials. Um, so Loyola is one place to go. Uh, you could also go, to, of course, to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and find them. But I always like to say, you know, go to your local Catholic bookstore or gift yeah. shop at your church and ask them, can you stock this? Can you order this for me? And, and 
you know, give them some of your business because, frankly, uh, you know, the Amazons of the world are are making it, you know, really difficult for those, you know, small bookstores to uh, to stay in business. So I, I like to put at least a word in for them. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, do you need? Is it important to read them in order, or can somebody say I'm going to jump right to number two before one? Does it make more sense if they read them in order? It definitely makes sense. Now, I mean, I wrote them so that in theory the story gets caught up. Um, but you really want to read, if you're going to read them, read them with book one first. Yeah. Uh, it's not like the uh, Magic Treehouse series or something where you could just pick up any old book and you're good. Um, these really are telling a story of not just Zam, but Lucy and and other characters, and they're growing up together. It's sort of like reading the Harry Potter books. If you yeah. picked up book four, you know, yeah, that, that might work, but you, you will get so much more out of it if you've read one, two, and three first. And uh, the cool thing is you, you read one, two, and then await for number three this summer, and then you'll be like, come on, get the next one out, get the next one out. <laughs> and uh, you've already yeah. guaranteed there's going to be 10 of them. You said that, uh, <laughs> right? So I, I heard I'll, you hey, say I'll, that. If it were up to me, I'll just keep writing them, but uh, I've got to convince Loyola to keep publishing them. That's the uh, that's the key. And they've been they've been wonderful. And what will really help is obviously, you know, if the books are received well, but yeah. also if if parents and teachers and, and others are are really responding to Loyola, they'll know that it's it's a product that can continue to to produce. Yeah. All right. Uh, I love your advice. Go to a local Catholic bookstore if they don't have it. See if they can order it, and uh, then go to LoyolaPress.com. And as a very, very last resort, you can do that other company that starts with an A. But uh, I hope you do the first two first and uh, see it that way. In fact, you probably won't even have to. I mean, if you go to LoyolaPress.com, I'm sure they're going to have it. Uh, Tony Collin is my guest. I'm sorry, Tony. Go ahead. I was going to say, you also could go to the HarwoodMysteries.com or <coughs> AnthonyColank.com. Those are my uh, my websites and the series website. And uh, so they're, they're all out there. All right. Very good. It's called the Harwood Mysteries. And uh, again, Shadow in the Dark and the Haunted Cathedral are books one and two in the series with three uh, on its way this summer, The Fire of Eden. Tony, I look forward to talking to you when number three comes out. And we'll uh, just make this a... Um, you know, a little, a little, every time you you put a new one out, uh, be in touch, and I'd love to talk to you again, okay? I would love that, too. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. Again, Tony Colink is uh, my guest. Uh, go to LoyolaPress.com, your local Catholic bookstore, or any of the other uh, uh, websites that he mentioned, including TonyColink.com. I think that was one of them as well. Uh, this is the interview of the week. Thanks to Diane Xavier for producing it. Thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions for future interviews, please email me directly, Dave Palmer at GRNOnline.com. Have a great rest of your weekend. An estimated 20 babies die each day at Dallas abortion facilities. These are places of unspeakable violence and sorrow. The Catholic Pro-Life Community's Convert to Life ministry is present to women and men in two ways, prayer and sidewalk counseling. Join them on Saturday, June 5th from 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Catholic Pro-Life Office in Addison and learn a very effective method of sidewalk counseling that saved 355 babies last year. Continental breakfast, lunch, and training materials are provided. To register for the free training, visit ProLifeDallas.org Five Wishes is America's most popular living will because it's easy to use and written in everyday language. Five Wishes helps you name someone you trust to make your medical decisions if you can't make them yourself and to say what you would want or not want. Your wishes are known and honored. 
Inspired by Mother Teresa. Five Wishes, the living will from the national nonprofit Aging with Dignity. Order your copy of Five Wishes now at fivewishes.org. That's F-I-V-E wishes.org. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. I'm Dave Palmer, host of this program. Cecil Anderson is running the board, and we appreciate uh, all the suggestions that we get uh, for topics. Uh, like we say all the time, if it's Catholic and local, uh, we want to talk about it on this program, and it's just such a delight to bring you stories of things that you may not otherwise know about. And we have a returning guest uh, today, uh, someone who I've come to know over the years. Uh, she is a uh, a wonderful pro-life champion, and I've always known her through her pro-life work. Uh, her name is Laura Weston. She's from St. Monica Parish, and for almost four decades uh, now, she has organized what's called the Cemetery of the Innocents Gravesite Service, and there's a lot of backstory and information, but the key thing that you need to know from this is that a week from tomorrow on May 30th at 2.30 p.m., there's going to be a uh, a graveside service at uh, Calvary Hill Cemetery on Lombardi Lane in Dallas, uh, beginning at 2.30. Bishop Greg Kelly is going to be there, and we want you to be there as well. And so Laura is here to tell us about the history of this uh, Cemetery of the Innocents, what it is, what's going on next Sunday, and all the other information. So Laura, welcome. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for asking me and being so faithful in asking me and letting people know about this service. Yeah, and at the end of the interview, we want to tell people about something else, uh, not directly related, uh, about a nice website that you've set up for your late husband, uh, Deacon Michael Weston, who uh, well-known in very immaculate circles. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's kind of another story. But first of all, tell us, we're about, what, 37 years or approximately with the Cemetery of the Innocents. What is it? What inspired you, you know, four decades ago to, to begin this? Well, um, God has always called me to be in front of abortion clinics. Yeah. And God has always given me the grace to talk to people, you know. Yeah. But um, also, like like most pro-lifers, I read pro-life news, and I had read that, that aborted babies' bodies were being, being put out at the curb in New York City. The yeah. bodies were simply put out on the curb, and that was not the only place. Mm-hmm. And so um, the first clinic that I went to had a pathology truck come pick up the bodies. And so the, and until it shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to a second clinic, um, and I never saw a pathology truck. And so I started to wonder if maybe they were throwing the babies in the yeah. trash. Is this here locally? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was, I don't know if any of you remember Goff's hamburgers. If you're old like me, you'll remember Goff's hamburgers on Central Express. I must Express, be too right? young. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's on Central Express. Okay. Right? Okay. Again, that's another place that shut down. Yeah. Um, um, but they, they in fact, were throwing the babies in the trash. Yeah, like and, you throw away a banana peel or a, you know, just just trash, well, it, a, it, it, an old piece of paper, and it, it just meant nothing to them. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely didn't. But, but it was interesting the way it had to be done. Yeah. Um, every time they did an abortion in the suction machine, they had to put a, and it was labeled collection bag. Yeah. A, a see-through collection bag. So they would, um, the the. Suction pieces of the body would go into the collection bag and then fold it in half and toss it in a, in a black, you know, garbage bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the bigger babies, uh, if you've had anything to do with medical, you've seen these brown absorbent pads, square, I mean, not brown, blue on one side, white on the other, absorbent mm-hmm. pads. And for the bigger babies, they had to reassemble the bodies. Yeah. And so, um, 
that they would take that and, you know, fold it over on one side, over on the other, up and down, and so it'd have a little package, and that would go into the trash. So I was always able to count how many abortions they did mm-hmm. because by counting the bodies. You were going in and, and counting these. In, in. I, I personally handled every single okay. body. Okay, yeah, that's, uh, that's got to be just uh, really agonizing to do that. I mean, somebody does, needs to do it, but it's, that, that must have been very challenging and very hard to, to see that. It was. I wanted to take their little bodies and go door to door and go, look, uh-huh. this That's abortion. is abortion. Yeah. You know, it's not rhetoric. It's not choice. This is abortion. Yeah. But I didn't. <laughs> but the police were after me. They found out that someone was doing this and they kept trying to catch me. I didn't, wasn't even aware of that to get me to stop. Mm. But that never happened. Yeah. And uh, God protected me in so many ways. But I was able to do that until um, they... Um, until they, until um, a newspaper, um, not newspaper, TV reporter had been pressing me for an interview, and I said, once I'm on the air, I will never be able to retrieve another baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they'll, they'll see you. They'll know, they'll you know are, that right? I'm doing yeah. it, and they will stop it. And they, yeah. in fact, they did put a policeman there to guard the dumpster, so I wouldn't do that. They didn't yeah. stop throwing them in the trash. They just yeah. wanted to make sure that I didn't give them a decent burial. Um, and so, so... We had the first service that year. So service number one is year zero. Yeah. You know, right. so service number two is one year. Um, and it was a big deal at the time, but, but interest has waned. Um, because I, you know, nowadays, I mean, it'd be hard to believe, but I had no way to contact people to let them know that this was happening every uh-huh. year. And we had, we did used to do it on Mother's Day because Mother's Day is a, is a day at the cemetery where most people come. They ask us to move it to the Sunday after. I lost a lot of people with that move. Yeah, know? yeah. And uh, if I do the math right, was this in the seventies? Uh, this is like right after Roe v. Wade, or it was uh, in the eighties. Oh, it's in the eighties. Okay, Early I must 80s. have my I have my my numbers wrong. Okay, so the the mid eighties, they're about eighty four, perhaps. Uh, I think eighty okay. four or eighty five. Yes, yeah. because. Um, after my last son was born, when he was one years old, was when I started going in front of the clinics. Yeah, okay. So that was 81. All right. January of 81. Okay. That I started. Going. Well, why, why was this so important to you? What's the backstory with you? Because obviously a lot of people are pro-life, but they're not doing what you did. Why, why, why the passion? I'm going to have to say God. Mm-hmm. You know, he made me a passionate person, and I take comfort in that, because all of the saints were over-the-top passionate about yeah. something. Right. <laughs> you know, he put it on their hearts. And this was what he put on my heart, that these yeah. babies deserve better than to be eaten by, by rats. Mm-hmm. Other pro-lifers um, had uh, found baby parts yeah. in, their, in the alleys yeah. because the rats and the dogs had pulled open the, the uh, remains from other abortion clinics, and they found the parts yeah. there. Um, you know Monica Miller. Uh, I do. Yeah, she yeah. she does has done similar work, and well, she's highlighted a lot on Catholic Radio for doing that kind of work, right? Right, but she but she does not handle the bodies. Okay, they're already in jars. They're meant to be taken away or sold or what or whatever. But she doesn't handle the newly aborted okay. babies, and I don't know that anyone else did yeah. except me. Yeah, yeah. I actually, put my hands on those babies, and and you love those babies. Yeah. You hold them in your hand and you see the perfection. You see faces, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, because they're, for the most part, a suction abortion beheads the baby. Yeah. So uh, you'll have a headless body for yeah. the little ones and then you'll have the faces. Yes. And, and 
you know, there's no point in going into how gruesome right, it, can be. Right, it can all right. be. Oh, I remember when, you know, when we miscarried our little 10 week old Matthew, and, you know, I mean, that little bell, 10 week baby, had very defined toes and fingers, and it was amazing. I had no idea. And people don't. Uh, yes. And I had them. You know, right there in a, in a little jar, we had them cremated, and you know that's another story. But let, let's get back to this. So, uh, so you said it, it kind of kind of started off kind of slow, and people uh, no, so it what, started what, off very big. So and then it died down a little bit. Yes, so, so no. what uh, what exactly is the cemetery of the innocents, and um, how, how many babies are there? How you know? You know, and people ask me, and you know, and I, maybe it was a stupid thing, but I never wanted to count them because I did not want to reduce them to numbers. Yeah, they were real human babies. It yeah. wasn't, you know. 50 babies. It was 50 real human beings. Yeah, right. Um, and so I, I, I've given a lot of different numbers. And the, and the abortion clinic said I um, said that they had thrown away 200 and, I mean, 1,750 uh, bodies. Uh, and, and, I, and they had an interest in making the numbers smaller. So it was probably more than that mm-hmm. that I retrieved. And then we had, I had several shipments from Houston. Uh, from a lady who was doing the same thing in Houston, and okay. they were three hundred at a time, three hundred or more at a oh, time. Wow. And she was she did this, felt the same thing I did, and she named every single baby. Oh wow! Now you had to, you know, Calvary Hill. Were they doing this for nothing? Do you have to pay? Yes. Uh, who's? Yes. How are you? How are you funding well, this? Um, I, um, Dallas Right to Life, which no longer exists. Yeah. Um, I went to them and told them what I was doing, and told them I wanted to get a grave where I could put a monument. You yeah. know, none of this plaque on the ground below. Right, right. You know, um, and, um, and I said, it's going to happen. I'm going to have this interview. It's going to hit the news. And I would rather it not come from me. Mm-hmm. Well, they did pay for the tombstone, but they wanted no part yeah. of the publicity. Yeah. So, uh, and then, then the Knights of Columbus, God bless them, ever faithful Knights of Columbus, Bought the gravesite. Okay, uh, and the, and the cemetery. God bless them too. I would come. I, I I used to go every day to retrieve the bodies, you know. And then I started going before the the uh, dumpsters were emptied yeah. to retrieve the bodies. Okay. And and it was. I ended in May near Mother's Day, and so it was cold when I started, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it started getting warmer, and I was getting back to every day so yeah. that that yeah. babies wouldn't start rotting. Um. Has there recently been legislation in Texas where aborted babies have to be buried, or isn't hasn't there been some some legal um, uh, some laws that at least acknowledge the humanity of aborted babies? Yes, God bless Governor Abbott. Yeah, he has been great, and I I know it was introduced. I really don't know if it passed, but at the time there was. Uh, I wanted. I asked that that a law be passed saying that they can't throw the babies in the mm-hmm. trash. Yeah, that didn't happen. What they did was pass a law that said, I can't retrieve the babies if they're in the trash. Okay. Unless only a funeral home or something of that sort could retrieve the babies, and I had a funeral home offered so, to do so that. So you're the bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> not them. Uh, so yeah, you're the one that you know, they need a law to, to you know. That's right. So, uh, yeah, and I, and, you know, and the, the I, I was, it came before city council, you know, and they, they pass it with this amendment. Um, and I stood up. While this guy was saying what a horrible, depraved, twisted person I was to be going in there and digging up babies' bodies, what kind of Mm -hmm. human being would do such a thing, you know? I stood up and I thought, you're not going to get away with just saying this to to, to a nobody. 
I'm the person who did this, and yeah. you're going to say this to me. And I went up afterward and talked to him, and he was all, oh, 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 my goodness. Uh-huh. You know, uh, you know the, ma- the man who was chosen to do that. But the Dallas Medical Association opposed it for a long time, so that it didn't come up before the city council. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's crazy. Everything's so upside down. Is that that you're the one demonized for trying to to, to bring, bring dignity to these babies, whereas the actual action of killing them that's the one that goes, you know, that's that, supported. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, the that's medical supported. association supports. Yes. Uh, let me uh, let me ask you about um, specifically what's happening next Sunday, the thirtieth, because um, that's obviously the, the the main thing we're talking about here. And if you're just tuning in, this is the interview of the week, Laura Weston. Um, uh, is the founder of the Cemetery of the Innocents, um, going back, uh, 37 years. Uh, they're having a gravesite service next Sunday, the 30th, beginning at 2.30 p.m. Um, who's invited? Who can come? Why should they come? And what, what's going to happen that day? Um, what's going to happen? We have, our, our service is pretty much set in the way we do it. We all, it's okay. kind of like the liturgy of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have songs and we have talks and we have, um, a, an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a gospel reading. Yeah. Um, and then, it, and, and then my husband was a deacon. Uh, so when the bishops didn't come, he did a blessing of mothers and children. So we always had a blessing of mothers and children. And then we sang a song. And then we, at the closing was we would process mm-hmm. to the grave site and lay fresh flowers at their grave. Mm-hmm. Why should they come? Uh, you know, it's like, it's like being pro-life when you think everybody knows, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, now at a time when, on the one hand, people like David Delight are highlighting the truth yeah. about the humanity of these human beings, and on the other hand, our government is denying that that they are human beings and mm-hmm. deserve any dignity. Um, this is one of the very few places in the United States where aborted babies are buried, um, and as far as I know, one of the only places that the babies who were buried were not preserved in formaldehyde. Mm-hmm. That they were buried just like you and I would be buried. Yeah, you know, yeah. they died and their bodies were put in a grave. Uh, why do we do it? Because we need, God is calling us to stand up. Yeah. You know, I think this is one of the other instances in history where we have to, where God is drawing a line and we have to say either yes to him or mm-hmm. I don't care or I reject you. Yeah. And so why come? Because it is a public witness and we need a public witness at this time. Right. And because the the babies deserved it. I still love those babies. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's going to be a lot of uh, reuniting uh, on the other side when so many (laughs) of them appreciate because they, they, they just, no, no one knows their names. They, they're, they're just nameless. They're faceless. They, their, their little lives mattered, but nobody knows who they are. And you know, the people who are uh, boring and discarding them don't care. And so, every uh, one of those babies had a guardian angel. Yeah, yeah, amen. And we can call upon them to help us when we were at that grave in our problems. Yeah, they had a guardian angel. We have a guardian angel. And should people let you know they're coming? Is this appropriate for children? Bring the whole family. Uh, again, Sunday, next Sunday, May 30th, 2.30 p.m., Calvary Hill Cemetery, uh, Lombardi Lane in Dallas. I, I, I told Laura, my, that's where my father is buried, so I've been there many times. Uh, I need should to you, say, they, they let you know they're coming or just show up? Uh, they've been great. This year they've been even, they've always been great. Um, but I need to say that there is an area at the front of the cemetery where babies are buried. Mm-hmm. And it's called, I think, the Cemetery of the Innocents. That's not where it is. Oh, somebody <laughs> have the same idea as you, or what? No, no, these are babies. They uh, they have to be buried after uh, five months. Okay. That, it used to be the law required that they be buried for five months. 
and you know, so you and there, that's one of the places where they're burying them. Um, but that's not it. Don't go there. Go to the east side, the side closest to Webb Chapel Road, because it's on the very edge of the cemetery. There's a there's a creek that is that is that edge, and there's a um, bridge that goes over it. So if you just keep veering right every time you get in there, get stay yeah. right, you'll come to that bridge. And the gray site faces that bridge. Okay, okay. And do you want to give any kind of contact information if people want to touch base with you or let you know they're coming? Well, what should they do? They can call me. Uh, it, it would be Laura Weston at 214-358-0694. They can call me and leave a message. I'm not great about answering the phone if I don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not the only one who does this. When you see Dave Palmer on caller ID, I know you don't answer. That's absolutely so. not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. All right. 214-358-0694, Laura Weston, Cemetery of the Innocence Graveside Service. Next Sunday, uh, Calvary Hill Cemetery on Lombardi Lane in Dallas, uh, right there by uh, Webb Chapel and... North, it's between North, Webb Chapel and Harry Hines yeah. as far as major streets go. Yeah, yeah. Between Webb Chapel and Harry Hines on Lombardi Lane. And Bishop Greg Kelly is going to be there. Thank God. A uh, couple couple quick things uh, to, to before we wrap up. Uh, you hear Roe v. Wade is going to be challenged in the Supreme Court. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Are you hopeful or are you following I, that well, story? Well, you know, Roe v. Wade actually established that tri- that imaginary trimester system, yeah. right? Because nothing happens at the end of the trimester that isn't yeah. continued in the next right, trimester. Right. It's imaginary. Uh, and, and then states have, uh, one particular state, Georgia? I'm not sure. Um, put a ban. It was after, Mississippi. Oh, Mississippi. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's the one that's... somewhere in that area. Right. Yeah, in the deep south, south. yeah. Um, yeah. Put a ban on, what is it, 15 weeks? 15 20, weeks, 15 yeah. 15 weeks, yeah. and then they said, you know, it's viable outside the room. And so that is what they're hearing. Do states, it's back to states' rights, you know, yeah. the old Civil War thing. Right, right. Um, do they have the right to limit? Roe v. Wade itself said they did. Yeah. But Dover versus Bolton, which was handed down the very next day, said they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Took that all away. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so say a lot of prayers. I, I, I just, uh, the Supreme Court is so unpredictable, and even the, quote, conservative judge, justices, you just quite, well, never Roberts quite know. Well, was a big disappointment. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, real quickly, we got about a minute or two minutes. Uh, do you want to mention everydaysermons.com? Of course, okay. I just did, so now we have to talk about it, okay? <laughs> what, what is everydaysermons.com? Okay, my husband, was a, as a deacon at Mary Immaculate Church, would do a communion service for people who had, at one time they had a mass, and when that stopped, they asked him to do make it a communion service. And so my husband always did his sermons off the cuff. Mm -hmm. He never wrote anything down ever. And um, people were always asking him for his sermons, but eventually what turned out to be toward the end, he he decided to um, record them and he and I were going to edit them and put and publish little books. That was our plans. Yeah. Didn't happen. Yeah. God had other plans. So instead he asked me to do that for him. When he was dying, he asked me to do that for him. I don't think he had any idea of how many he had recorded. Mm. I think at the end of the day there were about a hundred. Oh wow okay. Yeah. And so I put one a new one out every week at the website, uh, everydaysermons.com, and he covers such a wide range of topics. Anything you can think of, you know, um, I think the last one was, well, one of them was, I, I'm not perfect, I'm human, mm-hmm. you know, and he yeah. goes into that. And also, there is no foreigner here. Yeah. He talked about the church's 
uh, universality, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and yeah. how Mary Immaculate was such a diverse community. But um, so many things, some deeply thought, theological, some some very experiential. Yeah, but they're yeah. all excellent. All right. Well, I hope many people will visit that website, everydaysermons.com. You can hear the, uh, the, the sermons from Deacon Michael Weston, who passed away, uh, a year ago last October, right? Uh, right. Back and in 2019. He, um, and they are there as an audio file, but I've also <coughs> transcribed every one of them. So okay. you can, if you don't want to listen to the audio file, if you want to be able to come back to it, you can just read it. All right. And Cemetery of the Innocents Gravesite Service is going to be next Sunday. The 30th of May, beginning at 2.30 p.m., and you can call Laura or, you know, if you get lost or you need to call on Sunday to, to wait, how do I get over there? 214-358-0694. If you have any questions or you just want more clarification about what, what's going on, call her, uh, 214-358-0694. If you are lost in the cemetery, let me give you my cell phone number. It's 214-676-5856. And it has a generic You've reached this number, automatic yeah, text right, message. Right, thing, okay. So. <laughs> All right, 214-676-5856. All right, uh, you want to yeah. give a social security number or a credit card number? Or something? Oh, sure. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's yeah, all, all your information <laughs> here, right? Yeah, no. All right. Uh, Laura, thanks for coming in. Good to see you again. Well, uh, thanks Dave, for the visit. Such a loyal friend. Thank you so much. And thanks to me. Sissel. And thanks, everybody. I always love suggestions. I hardly ever have to go looking for these interviews because they come to me. And it's uh, uh, such a joy to highlight good things going on here in the Dallas and the Fort Worth Diocese. And now the Tyler Diocese. Sissel's doing this interview of the week for uh, the Tyler Diocese oh, now. Cool. So, yeah. That's so we're great. Uh, that's now we got, we got Kansas in our domain. We're uh, Dodge City, so things are, uh, things are exciting. Uh, this has been the interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for this week's KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Catholic news and information pertinent to North Texas Catholics. Please join us again next week at this same time for another KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week. Loretta House in Denton is a pregnancy resource center that serves women dealing with unplanned pregnancies. They provide free pregnancy testing and free ultrasounds. Clients receive material goods like diapers, baby items, clothing, parenting classes, and more. Loretta House is an official apostolate of the Diocese of Fort Worth. All services are provided free of charge and remain completely confidential. Many babies are saved and many hearts changed. For more information, visit LorettaHouse.org or call 940-380-8191. Come, let us pray to our Blessed Mother for those who have dedicated their lives in defense of our nation and our freedom. Pray that she will guard and protect our country from those who wish to destroy it. All KTH 910 AM listeners are invited to participate in a special Memorial Day Patriotic Rosary at St. Patrick Cathedral in Fort Worth, focusing on prayer for our nation, our military, and our church on Monday, May 31st at 7 p.m. For more information, call 817-244-7733. All of us at KTH 910 AM thank Porter's Army, Navy, and Irving for their sponsorship of the August 5th Summer Speaker Series event with guest speaker Father John Ricardo. Owner Steve and Cindy Porter have been longtime supporters of the Guadalupe Radio Network. They invite you to visit Porter's Army, Navy, located at 600 East Irving Boulevard in Irving, and see more at their website, portersarmynavy.com. They hope you'll join them August 5th by buying your tickets at summerspeakerseries.com. 
Did you know that the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is one of the most highly trafficked areas in human trafficking? The Diocese of Fort Worth is hosting a Zoom presentation on innocence lost to human trafficking on Tuesday, May 25th at 6.30 p.m. and will be hosted by Kim Robinson, a licensed psychologist. Learn to recognize the signs of recruitment, how traffickers control their victims, and what each of us can do to stop human trafficking. For more information and to register, visit fwdioc.org. This is Julie Carrick with We Sing Our Faith, bringing you a great song from Tori Harris from her album, Sweet Dolores. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.